the Bible says he will enlighten our darkness. It tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus is the light of the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of God. God can create light in our darkness. Can you say amen to that? And when I'm reminded about that, that gives me great hope. Well, I want to start with the word of prayer for several reasons. One being, I actually have two sermons right now. And I'm not quite sure which ones to preach, or which one to preach, I should say. But I believe God's going to lead. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. And thank you for being a light in our darkness. God, we just praise you because you commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. And Lord, we just thank you that we are not left alone in this world, but that you are with us. Jesus, we pray and ask for the greatest of all teachers and preachers, the Holy Spirit, to present this message, this special communion time, Lord, as we recommit ourselves to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, church family, you guys know that today is communion day, and that is a very special day. Amen? A lot of people shake their heads or they sigh during communion times, and that's because you don't really recognize what communion is all about. During communion time, God wishes to draw our hearts closer to him through this very special act of worship. So I really, really challenge you to stay for the whole service. Let God bless you in tremendous ways because there are things he's been wanting to do in your life and participating in the communion service will help that process. God is faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to share a very interesting psalm with you. Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms 84. Psalms 84. Let's savor the Psalms right now. Psalms 84. Are we all there? Amen. Let's start with verse 1. Psalms 84, starting with verse 1. Listen to what the Word of God says right here and let it speak to your heart. How lovely is your what? Tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even what? faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now watch what David says next. It's very powerful. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your what? house, for they shall still be praising you. Blessed is the man. Now, this is where it starts getting very deep. Blessed is the man whose strength is in what? You. As whose heart is set on what? Pilgrimage. Now, it's very interesting. A pilgrimage was a spiritual journey. Muslims will take pilgrimages to Mecca. Hindus will take pilgrimages to the Ganges. And the Jews will take pilgrimages to Jerusalem where they could worship God and celebrate the feast days. But watch what he says right here. It's very interesting. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on what? Pilgrimage or his journey. Now watch what he says next. As they pass through the valley of what? Baca. Does anybody have footnotes that tell you what the word Baca means? Weeping. Tears. As they pass through the valley of what? Tears. 
tears. Let's continue. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to what? Strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. David is saying that in his pilgrimage, in his journey with God, oftentimes he will encounter times where he is left weeping. Times that will bring him to tears. Trials in his life. But as he continues to go forward, he's growing from strength to what? Strength to strength. He's growing in character, in knowledge, in wisdom, in grace, until he reaches that destiny, and that destiny is to see God in Zion. Can you say amen to that? Is your heart set on pilgrimage today? Are you set on going forward in your spiritual walk? Can you say amen to that? That's your desire. I believe God wants to bless you in the most powerful ways. And my prayer is that through this communion service, that you will allow God to bless you in a very, very special way. Now, it's very interesting, as I was doing some research for the sermon, I was reading about Jewish weddings. Uh, The sermon just led in that direction of no intention of my own. And so as I was led to this thing about Jewish weddings, it's very interesting. There are a lot of modern Jewish weddings, and there are a lot of traditional Jewish weddings. In traditional Jewish weddings, it's very unique, the ceremony that takes place. Oftentimes, after the engagement takes, takes place, a week or two or three weeks happens, and they don't see each other. But when they're brought back together for the actual ceremony, the woman is wearing this veil. Now, what is so unique about this veil is that it has stars on it. Now, the reason why it has these stars is because it is supposed to be a reminder of the promise of Abraham. Do you remember what the promise of Abraham was? That's exactly right. God says, in your seed, the world will be blessed. And what happens is that woman is supposed to wear a veil with stars on it that represents the promise of Abraham. But as the ceremony continues and they get married, what happens, this very unique sermon or ceremony, is that they take this cup of wine and they will drink from it together underneath the veil. Very interesting. But they will both drink from the same cup. And it's supposed to represent that these two creatures are now united and one. And it's so interesting. After that moment, they'll take some of the plates, throw them on the ground, and start dancing like crazy. And, but what happens is that this very special ceremony was to bind two separate individuals and unite them as one as they partook of the same cup. Very interesting. The Song of Solomon brings up very similar language. The Song of Solomon was actually at some time considered one of the most holiest books by rabbis. When you read that book, it's a book about romance, right? And sometimes it should be rated PG-13. But that book describes God's passion for His bride, the church. Amen? And what God is wanting to do in the communion service is partake of a very special cup with you. Take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And let's start with verse 26. Let's see what the Bible says right here. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. What? What did he do next? Blessed, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said to them, Take, eat, this is my what? 
body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from what? From it, all of you. So remarkable because he says, This was shed for many for the remissions of sins. Very interesting. Here Jesus is having this very special last supper with his disciples. And as he drinks of that cup, he passes it to them, and they were to drink from the exact same cup. Now imagine this. Twelve other men drinking from the same cup. Can you imagine what that's like? Here they are, they're drinking from the exact same cup. And as they're partaking of this cup, I can just imagine the last guy thinking to himself, Oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong seat. But twelve different men partook of the same juice. Their lips touched the same cup that Jesus drank from first. In fact, what's very interesting, in Hebrew culture today, when they're having the Passover, they actually have four cups. And it represents four different blessings. And it represents the process of the exodus. So today, when you take a good look at Jewish Passovers, four different cups, and they drink from it. What is very interesting, there's a tradition that a child is supposed to ask something on Passover day, and that is this. The child is supposed to ask this question. What makes this day different from any other day? It's a Jewish tradition. There's somebody in the family, usually it was the youngest child, he was to ask this question, what makes this day different than any other day? And as he asked that question, the father usually would then begin this sort of speech where he would lead the children of Israel through their journey, excuse me, describe their story out of Egypt and the deliverance that was given to them. So when you have Passover with your children, excuse me, when you have Last Supper with your children, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time that God is calling you to explain things to your children. So here they are, they're having this very special ceremony. Jesus takes this cup, he passes it over to them, they all drink from it, and each one is partaking of this very intimate occasion. A ceremony that is generally reserved for weddings. And I can just imagine in my own mind as they're partaking of this, there's probably this look of just like, what are we actually doing? Jesus realizes he needs to communicate a very special message to his disciples. And that message, ladies and gentlemen, is the message, get this, the message of community. The message of what? Community. It wasn't like there was a lack of cups or somebody didn't bring out enough cups. It's that Jesus was trying to communicate something and that was his people are to be one. To drink from the exact same cup. But the children of Israel, the 12 disciples, were big troublemakers. Even right before this scene, they were fighting. There was jealousy in their heart. There was resent, bitterness. Some of them even had revenge. Others, one specifically, betrayal. And Jesus wanting to bring this all together. He says, I'm going to pass out this cup. And as this cup is being passed out, here these bitter men are. They're drinking from the exact same cup. I don't know about you, but when I drink from somebody, from something, and I put that down like it's a water bottle, if I have a suspicion that somebody else drank from it, I don't want to touch it. In fact, what is so strange is that if I attempt to drink it, even after I had that suspicion, it doesn't taste like my water bottle anymore. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
So here Jesus has this very unique ceremony. He's bringing these 12 disciples together and they're partaking of the exact same cup, the exact same dish. As they're eating it, God is seeking this very special community. These 12 disciples have been with Jesus for three and a half years. And through these three and a half years, they still were not completely united. But they began to recognize some things. And that was God was calling them to be one, unified it, unified, to have this special union. In fact, you want to know what the word community means in Latin? It's a very special phrase. It simply means this, in common. Community means in common. And after the resurrection of Jesus, these 12 disciples begin to come together and they begin to pray. They begin to lay aside their pride and their unbelief and the resentment that was there. And they begin to seek unity. Very interesting. One of my good friends is a counselor, and she talks about how there are two root sins in this world. She says, number one is pride. Number two is unbelief. In fact, when you look at all sins, these two tend to be the root of all sin that there is in this world, either pride or unbelief. In fact, pride and unbelief is so strong, it actually fractured the Jewish leadership where you had the Pharisees who were very prideful, And then you had the Sadducees that were what? Unbelieving. Here in even the leadership of Israel, these two great sins were manifested in their leadership. But pride and unbelief is what God was trying to root out of the disciples before he could pour upon them the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Acts. I'm going to show you something very remarkable. The book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Let's start with verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room when they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Watch what the Bible says. These all continued with what? One accord in prayer and what? Supplication with a who? Women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his what? Brothers, what's very interesting was that right after the resurrection of Jesus, 500 disciples were actually present with the women. But now, what is so unique, you only got the 12 disciples that are together, a few other people that were coming together, and they were praying. The Bible says they were in one accord, and they were having this very special prayer meeting. They were seeking to put away any differences, any hindrances to the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God began to work mightily within them, then the Spirit of God could work without. In fact, go to Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with what? One accord in what? One place, now watch what happens next. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were what? Sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. One sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the what? Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now I want you to see how their unity is growing. Now the Spirit of God is beginning to manifest himself within their unity. But God's not done there. Go all the way to the end of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. 
And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day were about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things what? Wait a minute. What does the word community mean? In common, what is now happening to the early church? They are becoming a powerful community. All things in common doesn't just refer to the fact that they all owned accords. That was a joke. All things in common means that they begin to believe in a very similar fashion, although there were differences in personalities and there are God given personalities. Can you say amen to that? But this diversity was now being unified and these people were laying aside pride and unbelief. And the Bible begins to teach that their characters were actually growing as a result of the unity that was taking place. In fact, let's continue with that. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them of all as anyone had what? Let me ask you a question. If your brother, your sister who is not related, next, related to you, but is sitting next to you, all of a sudden, they don't have anything to eat. Would you sell your car to make sure that they are fed? If you had nothing to give, would you sell your greatest possessions to provide for their needs? Here's the thing. It sounds much easier than it actually is. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to think about this. Let this point sit, sink in. This is not something people do for each other just normally. This is something probably family would do, right? I mean, if your family's in trouble, who wouldn't give their arm or leg or vital organ to see that they're okay? Ladies and gentlemen, what is happening to the early church is that now they're going from just a prayer meeting to being this community to now being this very special family. They are actually growing in their relationships. The Bible says that they divided up and made sure everybody was taken care of. They were willing to sell possessions to see that each their brothers and sisters were all taken care of. Ladies and gentlemen, God is growing the early church. And for us at Series Church, if we are looking for a model, we have to go back to the book of Acts. And by the way, we're told that one day we will return to this primitive godliness. Though it may be far from each and every one of us, ladies and gentlemen, and though this seems like something we could never attain through the power of God, it will take place. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue. Let's see what else takes place in Acts chapter 2. Verse 46. So continue daily with one accord in the what? Temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the what? All the people. And the Lord added to the church every Sabbath. Daily, those who were what? Being saved. You know what was taking place? This great exponential growth began to happen in the church as this unity was happening more and more. All of a sudden, the effects were felt in the community. The Bible teaches that they were together, all things in common. They shared everything. They were praying together. They were even giving Bible studies. Breaking bread from house to house is actually a reference not to the fact that they were going from potluck to potluck to potluck to potluck. It's a reference that they were opening up God's Word. Ladies and gentlemen, you see some remarkable things happening within this community. 
this diverse unification that is happening. The Bible's teaching that they're praising God together. And this is his model for the series church. Can you say amen to that? God wants to lead his people in a greater unification. And that unification can only take place as, number one, each one of us unifies with God. If we are one with God, then we will learn to be one with each other. Amen? There is no way you can be one with God and not be one with his people. It is an impossibility. As you continue to move towards that center, ladies and gentlemen, like spokes in a wheel, you will move closer and closer and closer to each other. Now, this is where it starts getting even more awesome. The Bible begins to give us several things that the early church or the church should practice. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and sisterly affection. Amen? I love what it says next. Outdo one another in showing what? Do you know what that word outdo means? Those are all great answers. Do you know the Bible's actually teaching competition here? (gasps) Millie says, that's only one verse. Ladies and gentlemen, take a good look at what the Bible is saying right here. Outdo one another in showing what? Honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show a hospitality. The Bible isn't trying to say, try to outdo one another in righteousness, but in right doing. That we are to try to outbless others in blessing people. Ladies and gentlemen, this is quite strange because we generally don't like to outdo one another. Well, I like to outdo people, but, you know... <laughs> But in, in the framework of blessings, when is the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to be outdoing Brother Joe Magpio and blessing that brother right there. I'm going to outdo Millie Brown. I'm going to bless somebody in a very special way. Now, I'm obviously going to an extreme, but you get my point. Ladies and gentlemen, God is challenging us to have this very special spirit of being provoked to try to help each other. I want to bless you more than you bless me. We have this transactional blessing. You bless me, I bless you. You bless me, I bless you. You stop blessing me, I stop blessing you. The Bible is actually saying you should outdo one another. If you see a brother or sister in need in the church, ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us just to awaken and say, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I can to bless them. I'm going to outdo anybody, and I want to just pour upon them blessings and love and favor, all that I can do to help them. You know, we're about to have an evangelistic series, and can you imagine when new people come in here and they see a group of people that is trying to outbless them? That would be amazing. I one time talked about this in a sermon. I said, attacking people with love. You ever been attacked with love before? <laughs> Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is telling us to have this kind of spirit that we should try to even hold others in greater preference above ourselves. If you're looking for a great kind of competition, ladies and gentlemen, the best form of competition is trying to give others honor. The Bible even talks about this. The Bible talks about in Hebrews that we should be trying to give preference to others. Philippians says the other same thing. If we are seeking to be motivated and energized, ladies and gentlemen, as we seek to outbless people, as we seek to hold people up greater than where we're at, we're going to be so blown away as we see God doing some remarkable things. 
God is calling for his people to start holding each other in greater preference than themselves. Part of what was taking place in that early church was this same spirit. They were not seeking their own honor. They were seeking the honor of each other. They were making sure that everyone was held in greater preference than themselves. The early church, as a result of that, began to grow. And the Bible says everyone was amazed. They had not seen that spirit before. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, something very remarkable. Now, therefore, you are no longer what? Strangers and foreigners, but fellow what? Citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is telling us that our family goes beyond just those in the church. It goes to heaven itself. That we are fellow citizens with them. That we have just as much citizenship as the angels. Now I'm going to share a quote with you at the end that's going to blow you away. God is teaching us to be in a spirit of service and unity. Humility. One of my good friends, she's a counselor at Southern Adventist University, and she was trying to teach her children about service, community, humility. Her child's birthday was coming up. And you know what most parents do when they have a birthday, right? A child's birthday, they're like, all right, we're going to have a, uh, we're going to get a sleepover. We're going to get this big old keg. We'll have the clown come. If you don't like clowns, we'll get something else to come in. And you're going to have this big old celebration. We'll hit the pinata, whatever it is. And we try to have these great, glorious celebrations. And then we'll bring a bunch of gifts and presents. But she says, I want to do something different for my child. I want to teach my child about service. So she talks to her child one day. And she tells her child about the problem of human trafficking. Do you know what human trafficking is? It is when children are being sold for sexual acts. And we would act very blind if we say it didn't happen. We would be very blind. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a problem all over the world. The reality is most Americans don't know how bad it is. She tells her young child about this problem. And you know what? The child begins to say, I want to do something special for my birthday. I want to have a fundraiser. And I want to give the money, the proceeds, to this organization called International Justice. And it's about freeing children that have been sold as prostitutes. And you know what this child did? Instead of getting this big old birthday bash, instead of getting this very expensive cake and presents, you know what she did? She began to write on Facebook, began to send messages out. She began to send all these advertisements out that, hey, she was raising money to help children in other countries. Praise the Lord. She was able to raise over $1,300. A seven-year-old kid. It's like a future salesman right there, right? Saleswoman right there. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, if we're not teaching our children this kind of mindset, then we can't be surprised as they get older, they leave the church. God is calling us to reset our framework, our understanding of things, and how we're raising our children and our families. We should have the same spirit that the early church is, and that is a spirit of service and trying to give preference to each other instead of themselves. This idea of seeking your own glory, your own honor is the way of the world. And the Gentiles do seek after those things. But God is calling us to come back to the early church model 
and to possess this very special unity, community, diversity, this spirit of humility and giving. Paul talked about the church one day and he says, you've excelled in knowledge, you've excelled in wisdom, you've excelled in evangelism, but he says, you're still lacking in giving, giving out of themselves. A growing church is going to be a giving church. Can you say amen to that? A growing family will be a giving family. And as you put these principles in your family, ladies and gentlemen, you will see the most marvelous things take place when God blesses you in powerful ways. God is calling us to get ready for new people who are going to be coming into our church. And he wants us to have that spirit of service. The Bible says, he who waters other will himself be watered. As we seek to go help others, the very depression and anxiety we constantly deal with will be faded away. Will fade away, ladies and gentlemen, as we speak, as we seek the service of helping others. The same five or ten people can't keep doing it. Amen? God is calling us, each and every one of us, individually to examine, re-examine, how can I be a better servant for my family, for my church, for my community? What can I do to lift a certain brother or sister up? You know, there was a man here just about a few years ago. Some of you guys may know who I'm talking about. And this man, he was the first time he came here. And I was, elite, I was leaving, I was having a little potluck at my house. I was like, good, I invited all the people I like. That's a joke right there. But as I was leaving the church at the end, I was driving towards the parking lot. And lo and behold, there was that man there. And I was like, well, I didn't see him. And I, so I turned around. And I continued driving where God's spirit began to convict me. Go invite him. He doesn't have any place to eat. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I went all the way to the edge, Okay. That's how bad it is. I'm human just like you guys are, okay? I went all the way to the edge, okay? And I was about to signal when I just felt this conviction, go invite him. So I breathed, I sighed, and I turned around, took the car all the way back, and he was just eating a few, I think it was nuts and raisins in his car. This was his Sabbath lunch. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, man, we're having lunch at my house. You want some food? He's like, sure, I'll come. He came out. And you know what's so interesting? This brother started attending church regularly here. He also became very interested in outreach, and he was all about helping people. And his spirit was the spirit of service. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what began to dawn on me as I realized this? If I didn't just reach out to him or do something for him, he may never have returned to this church. You know what they teach you at Walmart? If you work at Walmart, anybody here work at Walmart? We have no Walmart employees here. Are you telling me that? It's that big, no Walmart appliance here. Okay, has anybody ever worked at Walmart? Okay, very good. You know what they teach you at Walmart? They teach you to smile, right? They teach you to go greet people. They teach you to invite people back to continue shopping there. And you know what happens? People keep coming back. But if that's all we're doing, how are we better than paid Walmart employees? Is the early church Walmart? No, it wasn't. It wasn't paid customer service, ladies and gentlemen. You know what the early church was? It was a living, active community that was reaching out constantly. And as they were reaching out and unifying more and more, having all things in common, God began to explode. I really believe our church is reaching a critical moment. And if we do not go forward, we will go backwards. We will go backwards. God is calling us to outdo one another in good works. I'm going to end with this powerful quote. I'm still reeling over it. 
found in Bible Echo, August 5, 1901. Jesus longed to quicken and enlarge the conception of his disciples by communicating to them his own complete appreciation of God's love, that they might be able to comprehend the value of the gifts of gifts, of all gifts given by God, and with the giving of his beloved Son, the gift of the Holy Spirit. On all who love and serve God, this gift has been bestowed. Christ has made provision for all to receive his spirit, for he desires to see human nature released from the bondage of sin. Now watch this. And by the power which God gives, renewed, restored, raised to a holy rivalry with the angels. God is saying to us, it's time to outdo those angels. Not in a selfish, competitive way, but a way of giving honor to God, raised to a holy rivalry with these perfect beings. There is no limit to what God can do in you and through you and for you as you seek to do his will. Ladies and gentlemen, as we participate of the foot washing, please find somebody that you can bless. As we partake of the communion cup, recognize you're partaking of the same cup that Jesus drank. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for making us part of heaven's community. And Lord, even though this world is full of sorrow and darkness and anxiety, God, you have not called us to forsake the assembling of one another, but as we go closer and closer to the second coming, to press together, press together, Lord, that we may grow in our spirituality, grow in our character, and most of all, grow in our love. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.